0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the UX Research Rundown podcast, second season. Uh, My name is Henrik Matson, and I am the CEO of Lookback and also your host for this podcast. And uh, today, we do not just have one guest with us, but we have a UX Research team with us who just started working together quite recently, uh, and they're here to talk about the same thing we always talk about, but we always find new things. How do you get your uh, team along on the research uh, on the journey that is uh, research? So, without further ado, uh, let me introduce my guests. We have Jeremy Bailey and uh, Nadja Calderon, uh, who are with us here today, and started working six weeks ago uh, together. Uh, so I'll let you kind of uh, give uh, us a bit of your background, uh, origin stories as, as researchers and kind of uh, the company you work at presently and some of the challenges and stuff like that. And then we'll jump straight in. So, uh, yeah, Jeremy, we can start okay. with you. Yeah, thanks Welcome. for having
1: us. Um, yeah, and we did just start working together. We're working together at a company called Thinkific um, that's, you know, laser focused, hyper focused, whatever focus, you, you know, like the most focused. On uh, our customer is a creator educator uh, who is basically someone that has, you know, unique, what we call unique genius, but some expertise or passion that they want to share with others and build a business around it by specifically by teaching others, by educating similar to the way you're, you know, sharing your expertise around research uh, with this podcast. So, you know, we'd want to help you, Henrik, build a business around that. Um, And a lot of these creators uh, really need help with that. So, uh, I lead the experience design and research teams and uh, alongside Nadia and, and a couple others. And then I've previously worked at, at startups for about 15 years. I say startups because like, I'm still in that headspace of zero to one and often using the customer insight to build new value, create new value in the world. Um, and been doing that um, by hook or by crook, by any means necessary, often hacking together solutions. But now, you know, at Thinkific, what's really exciting is I actually, you know, have a have a great team with a lot of expertise and um, and so, but I've done it every which way, you know, with team, without team, really excited and grateful to have a team. So I'll pass it off to Nadia to introduce uh, the research function at Thinkific.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, um, so I'm Nadia and I'm currently, our, I am the UX research lead at Thinkific. Um, where did I start? I actually became a UX researcher via, I think, a, a path that it's not so uncommon for UX researchers. I've been part of product teams for a long time. I started as a software developer, actually. That's where my original background is in, but very early in my career, I realized that I really care about the the who in the, in the equation of, of any line of code that I was building. It's like, who's going to use this in the end? So I took a long journey, Um, I thought I was going to stay in academia, so I did a PhD in human-computer interaction, um, and that really marked the transition towards uh, UX research for me, and so I, in the industry, I have been for about five years, started working with startups, before that I was doing mostly consulting works in like little engagements, Um, yeah, and the later, the last two years and a half, I've been part of of, uh, setting up the practice of UX research at Thinkific um, for creator, for like understanding and and being the advocate and helping leadership with um, them, our creator educator goals and purpose.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks. It's great to have you here. So I heard here, uh, before the, the show a rumor that uh, UX sits directly under kind of strategic leadership somehow. Could you tell tell us a little bit more about that, like how the team sits in the larger organization?
1: Yeah, Nadia. maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think Nadia is the best person to tell this story. Um,
2: yeah, to be honest, I have been quite um, feel that we have been in a privileged position in the way that the UX research team have the the history of the research team i think effect because we originally came and and became part of the the experience design and research team so under design um but uh because of where the nature of where the organization was at the time of still um uncovering a market corner and understanding like um who are we really going to target in the market there was a lot of a big need for for, and a space for us to influence who are these creators educators, what are the poems, what are, um, what, and like most specifically like who are they really. Um, and so, and so we started working closely with leadership from, from the, from the beginning and, and it was a matter of an equation of resourcing at that time um given that we we were just starting setting up the practice we decided not to get embedded into product teams or to like right away work into supporting product teams but working closely with leadership and for a while wh- while we didn't have jeremy on board i actually was directly reporting to our chief of strategy um and so i think it was it was uh, the nature of where where we were at the at the, at the time and so we had always seen UX research as a part, more of an insights function, not necessarily directly linked to to product. Um, so we're, we're still like now with Jeremy as our leader, we like, we're still seeing as part of the design um, organization, design and research organization, but we have like this dotted line always connected to strategy, which yeah, I have found is exciting and it's a really, privileged position where to be and where to be thinking UX research.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's funny that you share that, 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 that the usual way is for it to start in some, you know, other function and to try and influence that. That's how it started. I think in my, in my career, at least in tech, where there was no research function. I worked for 11 years at a company called FreshBooks, which became, it's become a global company. Uh, and I was there for a lot of the ride. But in the earliest days, you know, it was bootstrapped. We were, like, you know, building whiteboards from scratch. Uh, don't ask me how. And uh, and the research function, I remember, came from uh, the fact that I wanted to do some user testing. And I remember my boss telling me, who was the VP of product, no, we don't have time. You don't have time for that. You don't have, you know, money for that. We're going to, you know, it's always the same thing, right? And I was like, eh, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so, uh, like, borrowed someone from the support team, and I remember the first user tests we ran, um, we ended up demonstrating that the company was losing something like $5 million a quarter because of this, like the screen would go black for a certain percentage of users when they signed up for the product. Um, and then people were like, oh, how can we do more of this? And then uh, slowly, you know, with the various uh projects built influence for like research should even exist in an organization. And eventually got to the point that Nadia has, you know, established at Thinkific where we built an insights team outside of um, outside of design and that was, you know, had a quant and a qual and was helping drive some strategy. But I st- I still think, like, it's a beautiful hack just from day one to report <laughs> directly into a strategy officer, or directly into the C-suite, um, because that was like a 10-year uh, influence journey that I took Um and I told you the nice version of it, like not the sloppy, you know, political battles <laughs> version of it.
0: <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that in the in the podcast to the extent that you're comfortable. No, but but joking aside, I think it's interesting that. Um, you know, we, when we talk about engagement with research, right? We want the team, to, we want stakeholders to 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 buy into what we're doing, and uh, you know, not because we just want that to happen for some other reason, but it's it's good when that happens. You know, it's uh, as we discussed before the we started recording the. Uh, the, the experiences in teams that I talk to are very different. You know, uh, some people have a lot of this and it works and it's great. And when it works, everyone agrees it's great. I'm, I'm yet to meet the team where it's like, oh no, we have too much engagement <laughs> with research and it's really hurting our products. Like no one ever said that. Uh, but there are a lot of teams where this doesn't happen. But I think that your case also kind of shows that, well, engagement with whom, right? Because you can have engagement with the leadership team and you can have engagement with your product team. And, and you know, and these are, different journeys. So, so, uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Um, If we go to the question about kind of how, what is like research engagement to you? Is there one of these things that in your experience have been more powerful, like engagement with engagement from like high up stakeholders or engagement from like the the close to the product team? Or can you talk a little bit about the, I, I guess they're both important in their own ways, but can you kind of share some of your uh, experiences when it comes uh, to those things. I can start with, uh, start with Jeremy this time.
1: Okay. So the question is like engaging teams in research, uh, or,
0: okay. Yeah. Different forms of engagement, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the primary form of engagement for a lot of my career was to force the engagement to happen. So it was like, you know, go, go to the customer's office, like get on the phone, pick up the phone, um, because it, you know specifically there'd be a conversation where there was a lot of embedded assumption. I was like, we better check out some of those assumptions,, uh, make sure that they're you know right or wrong. And then the reaction around engagement, it took care of itself after the forcing function, typically. So once the team had um, had an excuse you know and had the time allotted or the support needed, I would often joke that it was like they had come back from some kind of like all night bender or something like they had just done drugs because they would be so excited and so high on the experience that they just had that they're like how come we how come no one told us sooner that like work could be this engaging and there could be so much to learn and i'd be like "Uh, yeah i did i thought i told you (laughs) this is the way Um, so I've often it's mostly been about pushing people over that speed bump and I'm even in the earliest days it was about automating recruiting like I remember you know when I told you I brought in that customer support person I still got a lot of pushback from teams if it wasn't my own work um, that we don't have time to recruit or whatever so I would just I remember I think I read Gothelf's Lean UX and he suggested hey just make sure the people show up on a Thursday and so that's what we did like the customer would actually show up in the office and the team would be like, what do we do with them? And I was like, I don't know. Like, do you have any, what are you working on? Why do you share it? <laughs> uh, and then that became an embedded kind of thing. Um, so it's always been supporting, making it easy uh, to say yes. And, and and in some cases forcing the yes.
0: Right. And and kind of, it's interesting, this, the the story you tell about how they expected perhaps something else or they, you know, your your experience was that you told them like, hey, this is going to be useful. Please come along on this thing. And then once they came along, they were like, oh, how come you didn't tell us this was going to be great? So I, I, I've seen that a lot. In I remember my first time I engaged, like I was observing a research session. And I was like, this is so cool. And, you know, and then you'd say that to the researcher. And they were like, yes, like, this is what I do, right? So a lot of it is just to get people to take that um, take that first step. So, so Nadia, how... it. it you know if you to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing like what's special about that uh that leadership team that just kind of because i guess they recruited a a research team before they even needed to do some kind of product research they were they knew they were going to do discovery and the and the way they were going to do that was to go and like hey we're going to research it i mean that is pretty rare i would say that that's how it starts like where did where do you think that came from and kind of what experiences preceded that for them that kind of you know (laughs) to the extent that you know
2: yeah interesting also like the question of engagement i think there is no ux researcher that thinks about this day online (laughs) Uh, um so I, I wouldn't say precisely that the story is like they thought that they were going to create a new product and then they realized that we need to do research like the product was well established by the time like a UX research function um, came to be. But like I, I suppose the, the uniqueness was think if it was in hyper growth at that time. So it's like, how do we how do we get from being startup, um, you know, with with this innovative idea to to growth um, and and. Fortunately, I I do remember <laughs> I joined and always have been grateful for joining a team where I always felt there was a leadership, customer centricity, culture and values. Um. So there was not a lot of buying into like how important is that. There there was more a piece of of like how 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 does UX research can really help us? Like, what 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 can you do for us? And so I think it was at that time. A leadership in a leader in design said, like, took the bet and said, like, I think we need a UX research team, and so, so that's how it got started. And then, um, once again, it just happened that at that time of the decision, we decided to start working more on the strategic questions rather than the product directly questions. Um, and so, we had the this space to prove the value that we could bring to the organization. When it comes to engagement, um, it is. I think the first thing that came to mind, you're right, like it's it's not only the the how are we engaging, but but when like engagement takes different, um, different like um, manifestations, if you wish, and like in the when in the process, are we engaging? Um, and so something that we have been very clear, I think is engaging early, especially with leadership. So I have this cool example of we were getting together to launch, like to start thinking and ideating about a new product. And I remember sitting in a room with like the leaders of of that project, of that initiative. And just by engaging them and giving them the space to like feeling that the team that was gonna run with the project had like a download of their heads right and so at that time i remember one of the leaders in the room telling me at the end of we we run a design workshop or an ideation workshop and and tell me wow thank you i really needed to make sure that i that you had my my download and and that was really everything they they needed to feel like confident and then the team so that was a very important piece of the engagement it's not only the how, but the when, because often when we think about engagement, we, we think about like, let's show them the interviews, let's show them how the user actually behaves, how they feel, how they talk. But I think we really think, I think if we think about the entire process also, because if we engage them e- early with them, like they will continue with us through the process until the very end. Um, And so it's more likely that the outcomes of our research are received because there are direct questions to what answers to the questions that they had or, uh, have a very specific action into where they what where they were looking to act. that's how whenever we have work at that more of a strategic level, obviously we do our best to bring them to the sessions to make sure they're sitting in the room where we're conducting interviews, for example um so that that is a very humane piece. It's so important that they get to connect with the human on the other side um but but i would I would like speak highly of how important it is through the entire process, not just these moments that we find very emotionally connected but like the, the importance of the process yeah
0: yeah that's super interesting i remember i had a conversation with one of my researchers once where we were talking about the role of reports right and what format should the research report have and you know whatever and we realized after a while that it doesn't really matter how like our role is not to help you build a report our job is to help you build the engagement over time that makes sure that people read the report. And it's like what you're saying about this kind of this long process where especially where you have to start early, like get their download so they feel a part of it and everything. I mean, this really resonates with me. So um, I want to kind of play into, I find it so interesting that you have these in the same room now, I have two people that have slightly different experiences of kind of their journey to building engagement in teams and everything. And uh, you know, this is how the world looks, but it's rare that I have both perspectives in a podcast. So sorry if I'm, <laughs> I'm podcasting you a little bit now. But but Jeremy, when you <laughs> when you hear this stuff about like you know the how it works over there and everything, and is is your experience is that? Do you think that is? a journey that is still as common or do you think that kind of what Nadia is talking about is the new way or is that more common now or can you talk a little bit about how like this is shifting in the industry if you
1: yeah I mean I can I, I can certainly share from my personal perspective working across a few companies too um, and even my own role and you know in in uh, my own title and how that's shifted like I remember you know I started out as a you know as a Actually, I started as an art director, very unconventional, and then became a creative director in a product organization. People didn't understand what that meant. And then I, um, I eventually had this title, Head of Experience, um, and came up with it with the CEO at FreshBooks, because the influence that we were building within the organization from the design function, we didn't want to limit it to, and this had been true f- for my entire career to a product specifically that we were trying to build experiences for the customer. And they, they, you know, they didn't care about, you know, Conway's law. They didn't care what department we were in. They just wanted a good experience. end to end. they didn't care what department delivered it. I've always been really passionate about that. And so for me, the evolution has been clear for like, you know, um, going on like two decades. Cause I started out in market research way, way, way back when, and, actually I was a research assistant before that in sociology but anyway so I have some research acumen but it was always in service of delivering this like you know unified experience and so from my perspective that's actually the evolution is like insight as like the foundational um, kind of data like and we we have chief data officers and I feel like almost they like took a lead in terms of establishing like hey data is really important to companies quant and the quants won on that front but the the evolution of like an insight function to me is like the evolution of the you know data side that has evolved and the UXR side coming together um, to become the foundation of decision-making, period. I always say, like, whenever I've requested a UXR role, this will really improve our decision-making. Uh, and an organization, like, wins or loses by its ability to make good decisions, right? Because every day we have the opportunity to make a right or wrong decision. And in my experience, um, those the decisions that are informed by customer insight tend to be <laughs> correct. I don't know why. I wonder why. Uh- <laughs> But it turns out business is nothing except like a handshake scaled you know up to 300 400 10,000 people and maintaining that handshake across 10,000 people that like look in the eye that trust requires a, a really strong foundation and connection to the customer and i think that's where uh, the evolution of an insights function in a business I, you know i'd be fine if Nadja didn't report to me and frankly i see the future as you know, Nadia or someone like her in a strategic strategic position within a C-suite or executive function um, because it's so important. And I don't know why it's taking so long to get there, but that's where I see kind of the end game Um, because that's what every CEO's first job is. And the executive functions that exist in most companies are the CEO scaling themselves, right? Like firing themselves in various roles Um, and then hiring in different functions like people officer or whatever, um, strategy officer um, marketing officer, it's only going to be a matter of time before there's like an insights officer and there's already data officers. Right. So probably that role gets combined at some point because we were like, what the fuck? It's like, <laughs> we're just trying to make good decisions here. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the podcast, but it seems like it's, the- <laughs> you are allowed- I'm Swedish. So almost anything it's, goes, it's taking a long time, but I, I can see it's coming. We're, we're almost
0: there. Interesting. Any, any, uh, anything to share on that, uh, note, uh, Nadia?
2: Yeah. I mean, I do. I, I, the, what well, the original question was, is like, if this is the new norm or of, or not. Yeah. Like, like,
0: where is this going, right? The, the evolution of how engagement happens. And...
2: I was just telling Jeremy that it's such a vivid and important discussion at this time. Every time that I join the, the learners conference, all the UX are calm. There is always this the uh, some talks about like strategic research versus tactical research versus and and even the role of of tooling on it, right? Like when we think about look back and everything that allows us to do evaluative research and bring bring participants um in on the ride. Um, I, al- I always think about like, well, what are we what are how, at what scope of research are we talking about? And, and, and I think it's a really valid discussion I have heard so many good speakers sharing experiences of how these insights teams have shaped around not only being UX research, but like mixed methods for the win, right? Like the combination of quantitative data and and behavioral data into product with the depth and the richness of what UX research can bring. Um, So I do think like I am a believer that's the type of career that I want to build for myself. That's the type of organization that I would like to continue working for. So I do hope that that is more of the, the the future of of our of our roles looking like. I don't know if the space is in there for for all organizations at this point, but
0: yeah. Yeah, no, it's an, and I actually think that that is why that is why tooling is limited. Um, and I say that as a tool person, I think that these for for these insights role to kind of to to lead to better decision making. The contact surfaces where that better decision making is happening are so complex. And that's why we're seeing like, you know, with Figma and tools like that, you have this like real time collaboration. And I think this idea that like a tool will generate an insight, you can just like open the tool and here's your insight. I I don't really think that that can be possible. I think what tools can do is they can support Teams in ways of working together that allows them to start early, that allows them to build engagement over time, that allows them to do these things. So, so you know, uh, yeah, that, that's what I think about when I hear you uh, here speak. Yeah, Nadia.
2: And, and on that topic, one another note is how important is actually that the right tools help us researchers to free some of our cycles and our time to do these other kind of research, right? Like for example, I think Kefik. I, don't get me wrong, not everything that we do is just like these big strategy problems. We are working also a lot on the enablement and how do we help others then do research, you know, who they are, PMs, designers, uh, product marketers, like how do we enable all those others who do research um, to face the same challenges, like recruit better, bring along their teams and so on, like engagement with their teams. And so tooling in that case is extremely important because it helps us like better build processes for them to run a uh, slightly leaner in that sense, and not being research not being perceived at that level as a blocker. Um, so it's extremely important.
0: Yeah. yeah. No. No. Thanks. I agree, but uh, but I just think it's interesting to think about like how, uh, and I've been i super interesting to have both of your perspectives on this, like the the where where does the where is the insight truly produced? And I I would argue here's my proposal and it might be wrong or simplified or something but it i think it is produced in the complex day-to-day interactions and relationships in a team and this idea that like we can have insights tools that generate insights i think is 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 flawed tools can help this so that's my critique against tools like my own. It's like we can help. I think this point of like helping researchers stay on target and doing relevant things instead of like you know doing manual Excel file like participant management and stuff like that. That's obviously something we can help you with, right? And like making all of these flows. But 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 uh, I'm not sure that tools can generate uh, insight. So I don't know. What, am I <laughs> totally?
1: Yeah. No. I, I, do you, uh, Do I get to go first, or Nadia? Yeah, actually, it's your turn to go first. Is it? <laughs> I would I would I, I'm always you're such a good I'm team always already. reminded of a researcher who and and this is something I guess that was in school that I missed but a researcher reminded me of it on my team at FreshBooks that reality is unknowable right so like if we start from the assumption that research is only helping us like widen the straw you know a little bit so that we can see reality, again, from a very subjective point of view, maybe I'm a postmodernist in this sense, and not just going to come at me with objectivity. Uh, But like, (laughs) that, you know, the postmodern condition is that we can't possibly really understand, you know, know reality, but we can seek to better understand it. Um, That that really plays into this, this equation. And right. And therefore, like, when you say teams, like you're talking about Multiple straws adding up to make that straw even wider, right? To synthesize uh, a a, you know a more like like a a more kind of accurate view of reality. I I also like once took a research workshop with a master synthesizer, and they're like, yeah, you have to make inferences at some point. Like at some point, some human being has to make an inference about what they heard, and that's a, a another word for that is a best guess. You know, based on the observation and the lived experience of that individual, but they're not like immune from the ladder of inference, right? Uh, Because and and so just acknowledging that we make inferences is part of like giving the team permission to actually critically think. Um, And so, in my opinion, like that's where the researcher plays a huge, huge role—is in confidence building within an organization around not opinion, but around like when we like observation, like learning to listen. And how to make inferences while acknowledging, you know, bias. Um, anyway, that's like my art answer <laughs> to the question. Uh, there, there's probably like a Love it. Love it. A more, pra- you know, like a practitioner point of view. I'm missing, but um, that's kind of what I've observed as well.
2: I have no argument against that. I, I believe in that as well. And you're right. Like, I mean, any any person that is deeply in the in the qualitative realm will say that at some point we're all making inferences right it's not that like we have a crystal ball that is telling us the truth because what is the truth to begin with <laughs> um but for example we do believe on an, on on once again the tooling and the right practices for example we created a, a method or a system where we we teach or we help others like i think confidence is the right word to say that because how do we feel confidence in the in the confidence in the inferences that we're making you know in, in the academic world you do that through through peer reviewing or through inter reliabilities like multiple lo- people looking at the data and, and finding that you are coherently getting to the same place or coding it in the same way but we can translate some of those things to to our industry practices and we have built this this we call them in I think if it walk the walls. I think they're like they are known from I don't know from what design practice back in the day. But when we when we came to 2020 and the digital world, we just became masters of building these beautiful mirror boards just full of stickers. And we said, like for something to become an inference, you have to have at least three different voices representing that statement that you want to make. And for example, we made it part of our practice. It's like uh, please make sure that for for some, we call them I statements. Like we build this I feel, to, uh, want to do this, anything. I have a problem with this. But for something to become an I statement, you have to have three different voices representing that I statement. And it's not three different stickies of the same person, literally, it's three different voices. Um, and so, yeah, there's always the role of inference, but of good practice too in, in the research, like the importance of researchers bringing this. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's very insightful. I think that what both of you are saying makes me realize that probably when engagement happens, because engagement means that everyone needs to want to play along by themselves, right? And I think people, creative people that build stuff together want to play along by themselves when it feels meaningful and helpful and if they're a part of it, right? And and one part to make that happen is to kind of start early with people. Don't like call them when everything is done and it's like, this is what I found, you know? Uh, But another part is also to like, I think we can feel as, uh, and I'd love to have your perspective on this, but I see like in, in highly functioning teams, we're creating space for each other's and feeding off each other's inferences. And we're like, oh, right. Yeah. That makes me think of, oh yeah, this. Okay. And, and so I wonder if like the key to research engagement is in, setting up that game. And I think that research leadership can have a huge, huge role in that. So uh, wh- what do you think?
1: Well, yeah, yeah, Nadja, I think it's your turn to go first. What's worked for you?
2: Yeah, I keep I keep going back to, I feel just researchers are well equipped in understanding what are the levels of inference that and the type of the strength of confidence and reliability that you can make depending on the methodology that you're deploying, the pro- depending on the problem that you're facing, right? Um, and so it plays a huge role on, on, on bringing that to, to the practice and to enabling that for, for the organization. But I wouldn't say that researchers alone can do that. Like every single every single time that a decision has been made, there are so many uh, players involved, so many perspectives, like the business perspective, the product perspective, the research, the design. Absolutely.
1: I think the only thing I'd add, like, this is more the, my, on my practical tilt would be um that like cycle time really matters um in terms of like continuous engagement um so you know you we often measure our products by the active usage but research could be also measured by active usage and teams get really uncomfortable when i talk about this so i'm sure my team's going to listen to this podcast and be like you bastard jeremy (laughs) just make your lives miserable but um again, speaking of the forcing function I mentioned earlier, I have found that if teams are not engaging weekly at least uh, with a with a customer, um, and this is true for myself by the way and and I notice it in myself and it's taken you know many years for me to to notice this in myself too uh, is that it's it's a it's like a muscle that relaxes and the fitness of the th- you know thinking in relationship to the customer versus assumptive uh, reasoning. Uh, you can lose that muscle, and and so it requires like continuous practice. And so I think a you know a research team plays a certain role, but then teams that delegate the function of research to a researcher entirely tend to become some of the worst teams I've ever worked with, um, and because they're spoiled in the worst ways possible, and then they also disregard the research. You know, the researchers trying to convince them again that like this is valuable, so. The best teams I've ever worked with were continuously, and by the way, it's sometimes we're foregoing quality, and that's a problem. I don't want to pretend it's not, where like, you know, users lie to you. That's like a thing. And, you know, a, a bad research practitioner will be like, well, the user said <laughs> to do this, we better do it. You know, like they drank the Kool-Aid and they got poisoned. But it's better than the alternative, which is like, you know, no connection to reality at all. So I've tended to like try and, you know, mix it up continuously, but make sure that there's like a constant training program and uh, that people are doing things continuously.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. We were talking about how CEOs kind of gradually fire themselves from different jobs. And one thing that I found is that I... uh, I just speak more and more to users. Like I run demos of our product now, just, and people always ask me like, what are you doing in the demo? Like, don't you have people to run the demo? But I feel like the more I do this, the more I need to like be in almost daily conversations with, with people that are using the product. And I, it's exactly what you're saying. And you can replace that to some extent with, with like observation. And yes, there are some risks uh, that like, of course, like I'm not a researcher. I'm going to, if I actually think that I've done research, Um, I can get us into trouble. Because I'm like, well, you know, I asked them what they wanted and they said this thing. So let's go build that. But I think that's only a problem. That's a problem I saw like many years ago in, in our industry where we didn't do a lot of research. like if you do like if you talk to five customers in a month <laughs> and then like three of those were your CEO like <laughs> thinking that yeah. they were you know a researcher, then you have a problem. But if you're doing like continuous research and some people run run out and like do some bad research and think something, like it kind of drowns in all of that uh, collective thing. so yeah, yeah, I really like that. Cool. Uh, we have reached the part of the podcast that is my least favorite part, which is where I think it's all super uh, interesting, but we have to uh, call it because it's <laughs> running out of time. But I would like to give everyone uh, everyone here kind of an opportunity to, uh, based on the discussion we've had today in this theme and kind of your, your personal experiences of this, can you share with our listeners who are often uh, coming into the space perhaps or they're in places where... Uh, this hasn 't worked so well, perhaps they 're in like an earlier version of your journey jeremy when you 're trying to kind of you know get everyone to even show up uh Could you share some kind of things that you have learned uh that perhaps gave you hope that this is possible, perhaps kind of some some people that you can ally with some 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 tips you know uh, it could be anything really uh, we can start with uh, Nadia and then we 'll finish with you jeremy
2: hmm. um maybe i'll i will go back to 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 that first piece that i was reflecting about the importance of um looking at the entirety of the process not just at this moment of the interaction with the customer but like really the interaction with the customer starts when we have a good problem to go and try to solve with them right and so and so for i was reflecting about how uh when it comes to decision making how important is like the engagement with every stakeholders in someone said like that a problem well defined is a problem half solved and that like oftentimes is not just the researcher defining what a good problem to go and solve is like it requires all of these different voices um from product and business and so i would say that not overlooking that piece has been really important in my career and and that's not something that i i initially uh you know we always talk generally speaking about like engagement with your stakeholders but it's a really important part of the process at the beginning and and when i was just getting started i thought it was more about making sure that like they were following on my research but it's like really bringing them as part of like the problem definition and um that really is where where everything starts to go on and build from there so Mm. i would say that
0: love it thanks Jeremy, no pressure. Last words. Okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll go back to like um, the beginning of my career. But like 25 years ago, I worked in market research, I mentioned, and I remember it was youth market research. And I did like trend forecasting for like, you know, Tropicana orange juice or whatever. But like, but one of the things we would always share with clients back then was... The kids these days, and so these are now like middle aged adults, (laughs) um, they really want to talk back to the brands. They want to participate in the creation of your products. And, and by the way, at that time, this was a radical insight that we were sharing. And we would build these like customer panels, you know, where the, where the teenagers would log in and share their diaries and like lives. You know, with the CEO at Tropicana, right? And it would blow their minds every single time. Like, wow, these they because you know they just want to give, you know, and share and co-create. And I remember, um, you know, when I at FreshBooks, when I encountered the same hurdle of the team being like, "Well, it takes too long to recruit and stuff." I was like, "Well, you know what? We're gonna do. We're gonna send an email to all of our customers asking them whether they'd like to talk to us." and you know, would you believe that 15,000 people said they'd like to talk to us and that those people were available within 48 hours most of the time? So what I've learned over and over and over again is people, you know, your customer actually wants to participate um, in creating a better product. It benefits them, right? And I think a lot of teams have this assumption that the, that they're they're abusing the customer or they're, you know, taking advantage of them when for 25 years, at least, I've had the the insight that like the world generally wants to create something greater together, um, and so yeah, Obama wasn't wrong. You know, <laughs> that's like my final word. Uh, there's hope. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, well, beautiful. Um, i I completely agree my uh um, I had a, a colleague of mine who taught me once I, i'm gonna add my own little tip here since we're we're at it uh she told me once you know uh when people are very upset with you when customers are very upset with a company, she's like they're gonna have that that is passion that comes generally from that they they care about you they care about this product, they care about the experience that they had, and they're disappointed and they feel uh you know if you can engage with them and you can make them co-creators you're gonna get that passion but like the other way around right so and it has been true i think every single time like whenever whenever customer support has a really angry customer i'm just like (laughs) give them to me i'm gonna turn them into co-creators so so yeah a lot of wisdom a lot of wisdom i loved uh, both of those things uh cool well thank you so much for um for joining and uh, and it was just fun to have a full team. So I wish you all the best of luck with your, with your new collaboration. Just based on this, uh, I think it's going to be great. So uh, good luck and have a healthy and nice uh, 2023. Happy researching everyone.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us.
2: Thank you.